Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. This is Rory's conversation with James O'Toole, who is one of the residents of Tahani House who are facing a mass eviction. Please raise your voice. Please let people know that we are not happy for this to continue and that the state must step in and take action. Housing is a human right. We also have to ask you for your support. If you are listening to this podcast, if you've listened to many of our podcasts, you know that we rely on you. We've no ads, no sponsors. It is listener-led and listener-funded. If you have a few quid, click the link that's in the podcast you're listening to right now. It says patreon.com forward slash tortoise Join us for the price of a fancy cup of coffee or a cheap point nowadays. And you get lots and lots of additional content and podcasts as quickly as I can produce them and turn them around. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for liking and sharing. But please do click that link and see if there's a level that you're happy to help us keep these mics on. I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. I'm joined today on the podcast by James O'Toole, who is a resident of Tathany House and an activist. And some listeners might have heard um, that earlier this week, residents in Tathany House, um, over 30 apartments, were served um, an eviction notice to vacate the property. Um, And these are, as we know, something that I've been talking about for quite a while um, and we've talked about this housing crisis and we've actually covered this issue of mass evictions before, um, most recently in Limerick, where we were subsequently issued a legal libel letter by the landlord. Um, but uh, it's James, do you want to explain what, what exactly has happened? What's going on? And I know this is a very difficult time uh, for you. And I know also you're looking for support and solidarity. And there is a protest um, on Saturday. Um, and you can maybe give the details of that, but maybe just set out firstly, you know, what, where is this, what's happened? Yeah. So uh, I got caught in the thunderstorm last Wednesday and um, yeah. was on my way home from work and got in the door and I saw my landlord was uh, uh, in my corridor and he was knocking on doors and he had papers in his hands. So I was like, that's curious, you know, and then when yeah. I got up to him, he went, oh, I'm sorry, James, I've got some bad news. I was like, oh, what's this about? He hands me the piece of paper. I went into my flat, opened it up, and it's uh, uh, an eviction notice. Yeah. Now, I've been there 13 years, so I'm, I'm entitled to 224 days. And then uh, I went out and knocked on my neighbor's door. You know, there's a Lebanese man who lives next door to me. Uh, and I was just chatting to some of the other neighbors, and I was just asking, has everybody got an eviction notice? And apparently, yeah, he'd, he'd given an eviction notice to, to everybody. Yeah. Although we've subsequently found out that some of the migrant workers, like one of the uh, women that lives downstairs, he just verbally told to get out, which is against the law, but then mm. probably just chancing his arm and thinking people will just go quietly. But you're talking about 35 flats. So, you know, 80 to 100 people, mm. uh, you know, people upstairs with, you know, three or four kids. There's people across the corridor from me with, you know, kids. Uh, there's uh, one of my one of one of my neighbors. She just had a kid. Uh, and now everybody is terrified because. We're all looking at social media. We're seeing the posts where you see, you know, a queue of 500 people outside mm. a, a, a viewing in, in Donnybrook. And you're looking at Daft and you're looking at the prices and you're thinking there's there's no way that, you know, uh, you can feel in any way secure being thrown into that rental madness. And then the idea of having to go to emergency accommodation when we all know that there's, uh, you know, very little spaces and people are being told to go to Garda stations. So 
you know, it's a, a an awful situation to throw 35 households uh, households into. It's it's horrific, you know, and I was, you know, you let me know pretty quickly when it happened. And, you know, and I was just thinking about it and, and I, I can't help but make the parallels back to famine days and, you know, mass evictions and, and you know, just ask what have we become and, and, and the human side is because there's so much talk all the time about housing. And I was really, you know, it was thinking through what must it be like? And I was struck, you, you tweeted that, you know, you couldn't sleep the other night because you were thinking about it. Like, how has this impacted on you just in the last couple of days? Like, in terms of that, like mental health wise and how you're feeling? And it must be very difficult. Yeah, it's like you're two people. I mean, there's one part of your brain that's like, right, I'm going to fight this. I'm determined. I'm going to keep the yeah. mood of the residents up. And then obviously, that's your kind of the activist side of your brain, the brain that's like, this is not right and I should stand up you know mm. uh, and then there's a part of your brain that's like you know dwelling on things at night you know you're thinking to yourself where am i going to be in a year's time and that uncertainty i think is very corrosive you know it's very stressful you yeah. know so it's like i think i've been wandering around for the last week just full of uh, adrenaline and cortisol you know because your body's just dumping adrenaline all the time because you're contacting the media you're trying to you know talk to other residents you know, we're trying to explain to, you know, some of my Brazilian neighbors, you know, uh, getting um, an RTB submission translated into Portuguese, you know, so you're constantly, constantly thinking of things. And then in the background, you're constantly worried, you know, um, you know, where am I going to be and what, what am I going to do? And, you know, where's my life going to be in a year, a year's uh, in six months to a year's time? So, yeah. So, yeah, it's like being slightly schizophrenic, you know, you're at yeah. the, the activist side of me is just keeping me going. And I'm just going on pure adrenaline. And then the other part of me is kind of I'm lying awake at night going, Jesus, the uncertainty in your personal life is, is hard. But then, I mean, talking to my neighbors, you know, one of the lads upstairs, you know, he's got a he's got a load of kids and he's looking uh, on daft. Yeah. And he's saying to himself, Jesus, the only thing I can afford is in Dundalk. So, you know, you're talking about people who work and live in Dublin 8. And the nearest thing that they can afford to put a roof over their family's head is to go to Dundalk. You know, they have to up and uh, move so far away. I mean, one of the women downstairs works in James's hospital. So can you imagine that she works across the road from the hospital because Tathany House is on yeah. Bow Lane, which is just down from James's street. So she has like, you know, a two, three minute walk to work every morning. And uh, she's an essential worker. She's a worker that provides a service that we all rely on. You know, our our, our hospital, our public hospital in St. James's. And uh, she's now, you know, worried that she cannot afford anything in Dublin uh, and that she's going to have to look elsewhere. And she doesn't know what's going to happen. Uh, she's a lone parent. She has a four year old child. And she's now saying to me, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know where I'm going to go. And when you when you think about that, that that, you know, these landlords make these decisions based on purely monetary calculations. But, yeah. you know, what has become, what, what's become of us that housing has become a commodity that you can buy and sell. But like, you know, unlike some commodities, the buying and selling of this commodity ruins lives. It ruins lives and it's ruining lives right across this country. Yeah, no, yeah. no, you're absolutely right. And it is something, you know, that I've looked at before and, and, and described and, you know, researched was that impact on children you know, of housing insecurity and thinking for each of those children, you know, as adults, you know, we can try, of course, it's difficult as well to make more, you know, new connections around and, and 
But neighbours are so important and community is so important. And for these children, it's their schools. It's all they know. It's their life. And being rooted out of their, you know, uprooted is a trauma. It's a, it's a trauma that those children are going to experience. And as you say, simply because a landlord is deciding, you know what, I want to whatever, cash in my investment, make my money. It's, and of course, the, the reason when you pay it back, landlords will do what landlords will do. But it is because of our government policy that has allowed this situation whereby it's seen as this investment asset that they can do whatever they want with it and that it's not seen as your home as a tenant. Like you're living there 13 years, you know, it's your home. Like, how is it not? It's every person in, in that place's home. And I yeah, think. I, I mean, I agree completely. I mean, when you're in somewhere 13 years, it's just, you know, you turn the key in the door, you go in, you relax, you, you put on Netflix, you make a cup of tea, yeah. you know, you just feel like, oh, I'm home after day's work, you know? Mm. And uh, it's just, I think people just don't feel that anymore. They don't have that kind of security. And it was interesting because my wife's from Sweden and yeah. her family, when they saw the social media posts about the eviction, they foamed in panic because in Sweden, uh, the uh, tenants uh, cannot be evicted for sale. If you sell a building, you cannot evict the tenants. Yeah. That is just not a, a legitimate reason for evicting tenants. And so her family assumed that eviction in Sweden means that you trash the place or, you know, <laughs> or, you know, you have to actually do damage to your yeah, house to be yeah. evicted. It has to be a, a really strong reason to evict you. So mm. they found in a panic going, what's going on? Why are you being evicted? And she explained, no, oh, he's selling the block and he's giving everyone in the block notice. And uh, my, my Swedish in-laws were confused. They were like, yeah. how, how can, how can that happen? And as you said, it's government policy. I mean, I, I, I'm originally from Fatima Mansions Flats. So I've yeah. seen that since the 1980s, there's been a deliberate ghettoization of uh, public housing estates. You know, people in Seagull House who don't get their flats repaired. You know, they've run down the public housing stock. And as you said, it's an intentional policy to push us into the hands of privateers. So I think your point about landlords are going to do what landlords are going to do, which is maximise their profit. But why do landlords have a captive market? You know, they've been provided a captive market by successive governments and successive government policies. And I think, you know, it's, you know, I know listeners will be asking, you know, is the government not just introducing an eviction ban? Um, and also, was there not, you know, we know the Tyrrellstown Amendment was brought in to avoid such mass evictions. And maybe you could explain, firstly, um, am I right that eviction notices that are already served? Um, but I, I thought that the eviction ban would cover your situation. You see, the eviction ban uh, doesn't prevent landlords giving notice. They can give notice all throughout yeah. November. They can give notice all throughout mm. December. And then, you know, they can evict. There, there, there's going to be a bunch of evictions in March or and yeah. April, you know, as soon as the ban is ended. So all the government has done is put a pause on evictions. And then we're just going to get a flood all at once of all the evictions that were going to happen in those months. And we'll all be thrown into a crazy rental market that's already oversaturated with people yeah. somewhere yeah. to live. And then on the Tyrrellstown Amendment, uh, people may know or, or may have heard that the Tyrrellstown Amendment says that if you're selling more than 10 units, uh, that you have to leave the residence uh, in situ. But the problem okay, so is yeah. the government put in a get out clause. So if the landlord can prove that leaving the tenants in situ would cost him 20% of the price. In other words, the, the sell, sale would be uh, 20% less. Uh, he'd get 20% less money and that that would cause him undue hardship. Then he gets off. 
he can do what he wants. He can evict all 35 units. And in my case, the landlord has claimed that it would cause him undue hardship and therefore he can evict all 35. Now, I just want to say my landlord has uh, owned this place. His parents owned the place in the 90s, but he took it over from uh, mommy and daddy in 2001. And he's made about 700,000 a year rent roll in the last 21 years. So he's made 700,000 a year rent roll from 35 apartments and the sale of 35 one and two bed apartments in Dublin, you can work it out yourself. I mean, you're you're talking about netting millions. So the idea that someone that's made 700,000 a year and is due to net, you know, six, seven million from the sale of a building, that that person is suffering from undue hardship and therefore has to be allowed to evict all 35 units, uh, 100 people uh, out into the chaos that we're facing at the moment. Um, the, the, they defanged the Town clause. The government made sure that it was completely ineffective. But I think I, I think we can challenge that in the Residential Tenancies Board. Mm. I just don't see how a landlord can claim uh, they're suffering from hardship when they have that level of income. Yeah, and just oh, to I, say, I mean, he drives up to our apartment block in a different BMW uh, every single time you see him, so he doesn't seem hard up. <laughs> I mean, these people, their definition of hardship is very different to the people you know that I know and I grew up with. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a different world, a different world completely. Um, it, I, I remember the Tyrrellstown Amendment been brought in because that was when Goldman Sachs were buying up. Um, and a number of other vulture funds. I think it was a subsidiary of Goldman Sachs was buying up a series of, of properties in Tyrrellstown and there was actually protests by the residents over it. Um, and that forced the government to introduce that amendment. But I remember reading that clause at the time and going like this is, I could see you know, it was a complete get out, but even the thinking behind it that, you know, we're stopping you from evicting tenants, but if you get 20% less than what you would get if the tenants were kicked out, you can go ahead. It is just like you couldn't make it up like the the, the British colonial administration wouldn't be as cruel in yeah, terms yeah. of supporting landlords as, you know, it just it's, it's mind boggling. And this isn't supporting small mom and pop landlords. You know, that is supporting, you know, multiple property owners, as you say, who are taking in no, it's it's pure greed. It's facilitating greed and um a level of facilitating a level of um you know trauma. I you know of of implementing trauma on people, and I just I I think it's utterly utterly wrong. And um you know I think that and I can see the reaction. You know people are really horrified, and and I think it's important that you know as you highlight, hopefully assuming that you will be left in place till March. But what is going to happen in March will be, as you say, you'll be out in terms of the situation will be no different. And therefore, um, I think, you know, your proposal is right that the council should step in and buy this um, buy this up and turn it into, you know, public housing, social housing, cost rental um, for people on a range of incomes. And even if someone is in a position to buy one um, to the affordable housing scheme, all the better as well. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like we're calling on Dublin City Council to to step in and and prevent this mass eviction, and and as you said, and all the trauma that comes along with that, and then adding a hundred people to the queues for overpriced flats uh, in the spring. You know, it's about it's it's not just about us. It's it's also about you know everybody else that's in that queue. You know, yeah. adding people to those queues is just madness. But Dublin City Council are saying um, they gave us an initial response. And so they said um, there wasn't enough people in the building on HAP 
And I suppose the reply to that is the landlord told some of the residents they could find somewhere else to live if they wanted HAP. So in other words, he threatened, uh, for example, one of the women uh, downstairs was threatened that she could find somewhere else to live if she tried to get HAP. So you've got these landlords that know that they have um, they can threaten the roof over someone's head. And when people ask for their rights, they ask, you know, I'm entitled to HAP, I'm entitled to assistance. Uh, and then uh, the landlord threatens them. But the, the point I think that you made is that the council can actually provide uh, accommodation uh, under the cost rental scheme. You know, people that are you know, above the social housing threshold yeah. can, can pay cost rental rent. And actually, um, I've been talking to people like Breed Smith and Ono Brin and different, different TDs, and they made the point to me that there's a block in St. Michael's Estate that is cost rental. So the Dublin City Council uh, there's a government directive, the Tenant in Situ Directive, that yeah. says that they should release funds to prevent people like us from being evicted. And that uh, directive can be used uh, for a mix of people. So I'm on the housing list because I'm a community worker and I'm on, I'm on low enough pay that I qualify for the housing list. So people like myself could become local authority tenants. And the other tenants, like, you know, the delivery drivers upstairs, the woman that works in James's Hospital downstairs, they, they would be entitled to cost rental. So there's no excuse for the council not to take uh, over the building. And I think that that's why we're you know, going to put political pressure on the, on the council by, uh, by protesting. And there is precedence for this as well, that this has been done in Cork, um, that you know, Cork City Council supported um, a housing association to buy out um, a block of, of apartments where there was a similar um, series of evictions taking place. Um, so, you know, there is precedence for this. And there's no lack of money. We're putting six billion into a rainy day fund. Um, and like, you know, the situation facing you um, and your neighbors, like you can't describe it as anything but an utter emergency. And, and if there was ever a rainy day, you know, this is it. And this is what this fund should be used for. And of course, the other economic logic of it is, you know, it's an investment. This is exactly. an investment that it's not a loss of money that this the state would buy it and it would get income from the rent into perpetuity and have more and um, public housing as well. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. It's like public housing makes sense. I mean, in places like Sweden, and I, I know I go on about Sweden because I've got relatives there. You know, I, I, my wife is uh, Swedish, but in, in in Sweden, the councils set up, um, you know, um, set up companies that build public housing. They're like semi-state companies that build public housing, and then they take rent uh, from the, the social housing tenants, and then that rent is reinvested to make more blocks of social housing. It's yeah. like you know, this thing isn't rocket And for stuff. a mix of incomes as well. It's not just exactly. narrow. That's, that's, a, that's the, a very good point because that um, there's an argument here that you need to give land to private developers because you need to develop social mix. But actually, in reality, in Sweden, they have no threshold for social housing. So yeah. anybody can apply for social housing. And it's quite normal to apply for social housing. Everybody just thinks, yeah, you, you apply for housing and you've got an engineer living next door to a factory worker, living next door to an unemployed person. And you achieve a social mix and a range of people living together, forming communities, forming neighborhood bonds. Uh, but the whole thing is uh, social housing. And, you know, this is achievable even in, you know, countries where there is inequality. And, you know, Sweden mm. is still a capitalist country. It's yeah. by no means yeah. a socialist country. But these things are achievable. Uh, and because so our, Ireland is so, it's like, as you said at the start, we, we saw mass evictions throughout the 1800s and in our, uh, you know, our colonial past. But, you know, our, our, our rebellion was was usurped by a bunch of people who've just imposed the same kind of regime on us. 
where for the last 70 to 100 years, we've had, you know, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael intimately connected with, connected with landlords and developers and imposing, uh, you know, the same kind of mass evictions, the same kind of inequality that we saw under in our colonial past, you know. And and it is really like it's so sad to see that, you know, we did have a period, you know, in the 50s, 60s and 70s when we built public housing and people of all incomes and all backgrounds lived in council housing. Um, and, you know, they just they adopted the Thatcherite ideology in the 1980s that just saw the market as the way to do things and denigrated social housing. And of course, where you come places come from in terms of Fatima Mansions, Ballymun, that they blamed well, suitably, they, they said social housing was the cause of, you know, growing issues around drug addiction and poverty rather than looking at the economic causes of that. And so social housing became conflated with this, you know, with poverty and this idea that, um, you know, that it was, of course, it was a complete, it was a self-fulfilling uh, viewpoint because they narrowed the eligibility. They reduced the provision of social housing. So it became concentrated. They gave the surrender grant, which allowed people to buy out of public housing. Um, and they essentially resi- residualized public housing. And that's what, you know, led us led to some situations. But as I said, as you know, you know, you grew up in it in terms of, you know, the poverty, the inequality. It wasn't social housing, you know, <laughs> that caused these issues. It was the failure of policy to provide decent social housing. Um but I think that there's a real swing back and I, and I, you know, hear and you see from people that, you know, particularly the generation locked out and, and younger people that they want public housing. They want mixed income housing. They want, you know, at the state to do this. They don't want like the whole notion of multiple property ownership. And, you know, it's OK to to do that. Like that is a an ideology that is held by a small minority now, I believe. And I think that this is where the hope is that there is a real change it's like the public i think have gone way ahead of where politics is at um in terms of government and i i think that there's real potential for your campaign um you know to stay and to get this to be turned into public housing and you know i really hope it keeps you in your homes and that you get out of this a home for life um which is what public housing should provide yeah and i th- i think that you know obviously you want to fight you know to have some security in your own life but i think as you said it's like I think there's a, a shift in thinking on housing, especially among young people. Mm. Uh, I, I think people of, of my parents' generation, people who are, say, 60, 70, my parents are 70 now, I think they were chased out of places like Fatima Mansions because you said there was an intentional dereliction of places like that. There was an intentional yeah. demonization and ghettoization of places like that. And so, you know, my dad was a soldier. My mom worked as a teacher's assistant. And they just thought escaping into private housing, you know, trying to get your own house was just the way out of, uh, what the government had intentionally done to yeah. like that. And so a lot of their generation were almost chased into private housing. But as you said, I think the younger generation, I think are more clued in to, mm. you know, uh, what neoliberalism has done to housing and what neoliberalism is about. And, you know, the strength of alternative models, you know, uh, of models of social housing in places like Austria, Switzerland or Sweden, you know, that there are alternative models of housing. So, yeah, I think there's a real change in the zeitgeist, especially amongst, you know, young people who, are, as you said, are just completely locked out of yeah. uh, any other alternative. I mean, we've, yeah. we've no choice but to fight. And like, as I said, it's like this is about me fighting because, you know, I'm fighting for the roof over my own head. But it's also if we set any precedence, as you said, like, you know, Leaside Apartments in, in Cork was taken over by Clued. 
that gives me the ability to say, hey, there's a precedent there. Yeah. Can we do this? Can, I, uh, can the council talk to an approved housing body and take over our block? And then yeah. if we win, the next bunch of people to come along, you know, the next uh, mass eviction can say, hey, there's a precedent there. Tathany House, they won. You know, they got the council to step in and take our block. So while we're, you know, fighting for, you know, a, a different model of housing, while we're fighting for housing as a right and we're, we're, while we're fighting for to really, you know, get housing for all. I think we also have to, you know, just fight to set these kind of precedents you know, mm. so that we can say, look, you know, the council should step in and, and buy buildings like ours and, you know, prevent a woman that works in James's hospital and her four-year-old child spending the Christmas, you know, crying over where they're going to be next spring. Yeah. yeah. And of course, the, the thing about it is that, you know, the eviction ban is, uh, will postpone it, but it doesn't postpone the anxiety or the worry or the terror that tenants live in over this period. Exactly. It's like someone saying to you, you know, you know, would you rather step in front of a train tomorrow or step in front of a train in March? It doesn't, you know, when you know something bad is going to happen, when you know your life's going to be turned upside down, in one way, this this sours the whole Christmas holiday, yeah, you know, because we're just going to yeah. be, everyone in this block is going to be worried. And, yeah. and I think some of the tenants might, uh, and I think the landlord is hoping for this, that some of the tenants might leave because they just can't take the pressure and they just can't take the stress. And so they'll go to places like Dundalk. They'll they'll just give up on on inner city Dublin, and we'll we'll have a serious uh, loss of you know working class people. You know whether it's Brazilian workers or Irish workers or you know yeah. uh, Indian workers because they just can't afford to live here because you know the entire inner city Dublin is just apart hotels and expensive student accommodation. And, you know, this, the gentrification of the kind of, of, of the inner sea. Mm. Well, I think, James, that, you know, there is we've seen, you know, when we think back to Apollo House, you know, the occupation there and we look at the Mountjoy Square occupations and we look at, you know, even I'm thinking the, the protests over Cobblestone um, you know, the, the protests over Tyrrellstown. I, I think there will be a real public response to this. You know, I do. I, I think that there's a real sense of the wrong of this. Um, and I think that, you know, as a community there, which is what you are, a community that, you know, you have real potential to get, you know, public support from across society like there is. And I think that that, that if you manage to do that, which I believe you can, I think you will you will get force government and the council to go, you know, they have to step in here. Um, it will be hard, as you know, only too well. But I do feel there's real potential there because. And it's because the crisis is so bad. It's literally, where do you go to? There is nowhere to go to. Um, and I think in a way, the politicians, the government have to do things that they would never consider doing. Um, and even the eviction ban itself is something that they would never have considered doing um, or wanted to do. But the crisis is so bad and the public pressure is there that I think now, you know, that hopefully, I, I really, you know, hope that you can be kept in your homes. I think it is possible. Um so listen, thank you so much for talking to me today on Reboot and um, best of luck with the campaign. And is there anything we can do? If there is anything we can do, let us know and we will we will support you. And hopefully um, in the next few months, it can be it can be sorted. Thanks a million. And the protest, James, just in terms of if people want to support you, that's on Saturday at what time? Saturday, 3 p.m. at the Dublin City Council offices on Wood Quay. Okay. Okay. And you don't have a petition or anything set up online yet or 
Oh, we're still, I mean, we're six days in, so we're, we're still getting ourselves organized. <laughs> I'm putting the pressure on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, we're, we're all... translating residential tenancies board submissions into Portuguese, Romanian and Russian. Because we want to, yeah. you know, yeah, make sure you... everybody understands how to do these things and understands their rights. So. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot to do and a lot more to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully organizations like Threshold will support you and hopefully yeah. the Residential Tenancies Board as well and others can can give you that support because you're going to need um, a lot of support and resources. And so if people can help out as well, um, they can con- contact you, James O'Toole. You're on Twitter um, as well. Yeah. People can find you. So listen, James, best of luck, all right? Thanks a million.